You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to everybody, and welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show, along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Rob, how are you there, my friend? How I'm doing you? well this morning. How you doing, Gary? You know, I'm doing my best to hang in there over here, brother. Uh, how about you? Doing well, doing well. How was your week? It was good. And yeah? this week, I found a lot of people uh, reaching out to me about buying homes that had a similar challenge, which was student loans. So I thought, oh. it's such a common occurrence, such a common issue. Let's tackle it today. Student loans. Student loans. Oh, boy. This Getting sounds, a this... mortgage with student loans. Yeah, this sounds complicated. Um, by your estimates, then, what are the biggest challenges for student loan borrowers when it comes to getting a mortgage? Sure. So a common question that comes in is, can I even get a mortgage <laughs> right, when I right. have student loans? Or they'll say, oh, I heard of somebody that got their mortgage denied because they had student loans. Uh -huh. And I'm not here to get political or personal, but I see every single day people with low paying jobs that have six figures plus in student loan debt. I've seen people have quarter million plus in student loan debt and they're at jobs making 30 or $40,000 a year. And it absolutely pisses me off to see that. They'll never pay it. How could I they? mean, how could they, right? So people get devastated financially with student loans. But again, that's not what this is about. I'm not here to get personal on that. It's really a matter of finding solutions. So student loan debt and the future payment that you're going to have to make on a student loan mm -hmm. can be the biggest hindrance I probably see from people when it comes to actually getting their first mortgage. It's really a lot of the time first time home buyers that have this because they're you know younger, recently out of school, that sort of thing. And I've seen a lot of these online schools lately that you know you're taking online courses, so there's a lot bigger audience, and they charge just such high rates and fees to do these courses that next thing you know, you've got 30, 50, 100,000 plus in student loan debt, and what did you really get out of it? So people think, well, if I've got a mortgage worth of student loan debt, you know, hundreds of thousands, how is a bank or lender going to give me money? And how am I going to be able to buy a home? And I'm here to tell you that there is hope. And I've helped many, many clients, as we'll talk about, that had six figures plus in student loan debt buy homes without an issue. But there's some specific strategies that we need to use. There's a timeline that needs to be adhered to. And there's some different tips and tricks that we can talk about and really advise people on to make it an easier process. All right. So let's talk about some government-backed loans and how they look uh, at student loans. Sure. Debt. So government-backed loans are probably, at least for me, the number one first-time homebuyer program, whether it's a VA loan with no money down or FHA with 3.5% down or USDA, which is also no money down. Those are the three government-backed loans that I want to focus on here because they're so common for those first-time buyers due to the low down payments. So every single one of these government loans and really every loan program individually, not only government, calculates that student loan payment a little bit differently. So there's really two scenarios that happen, which is Option one is you actually have a repayment schedule on your student loan. So you are in repayment. You're making a monthly payment on that student loan. And in most of the cases, 
as long as that monthly payment is a fully amortized payment, meaning that it'll pay the loan off over a reasonable amount of time, 20 or 30 years, we can use that payment on your credit report. Okay. But what happens more often is, especially in the younger generations that just got out of school, they've got deferred student loans. So they're not even paying on them yet. So what happens is we pull that credit report, it shows these loans and it shows zero for the payment. Very, very common that that happens. People go, oh, well, I don't have a student loan payment, so you don't have to count anything against me. Unfortunately, that's not the way that it works most of the time. So FHA loans actually had changed not so long ago. FHA used to count 1% against you. So if you had 100,000 in student loans, that'd be 1,000 a month going against your, your income. Huge, huge issue. But recently, they actually changed that to make it better for borrowers. And they aligned with some of the other conventional programs that now they only require a half of a percent. So on 100,000 in student loans, they're only going to count 500 a month against you on that. Now, uh, again, that's for FHA loans, um, and that's a very common loan. The other one is VA. So let's talk about VA. You know, we've talked about in other shows, VA is really a great program because it's very friendly to the borrower. They really like helping the veterans and their spouses. So VA has a even better calculation, which they take 5% of the student loan balance divided over 12 months. Okay, so what they'll do is they'll take on a hundred thousand student loan. They'll take five percent of that five thousand, but then they'll divide that over twelve months, and that uh, sum is what actually ends up being counted against you. So it's actually better on a VA loan to have student loan debt in the scenario we're talking about. The other thing that I love about VA is that they allow the IBR payment, which stands for income-based repayment. So a lot of these people, especially the lower income, they'll have this high debt, but they'll have a really low payment. Maybe they have 100000 in student loans and they're paying like 100 150 a month. It's like, how is that possible? It's because they have what's called an income-based repayment plan. You submit your income to your student loan servicer and they say, well, well you can't afford a normal payment because of your income. So they have their own calculations, but what we can do then like on a VA loan is we can take that documentation and as long as it will continue for at least 12 months after the closing, we can use that low payment. I have a veteran right now with 175,000 in student loan debt. She's only paying $170 a month on almost 200,000. And she thought there's no way I could get a home, but because she only makes like 53,000 at her job, they they gave her this low income-based repayment plan. So then to qualify for the mortgage, we only need to use that income-based repayment because it continues for over 12 months. Wow. So the last one that I'll uh, hone in on here for the government loans is the USDA. Now with USDA, we can also use the payment on credit as long as it's a fixed payment, you know, amortized over the term, or like FHA, they'll allow the half of a percent. Right. So those are how the government loans work when it comes to student loans. All right. Now, what about conventional loans? And how do those view uh, student loans debt differently from sure. FHA and government loans? So I think anyone would agree that a conventional loan is ideal in a lot of cases, especially if you're buying like a single family home. But you do need to have better credit and lower debt to income in order to get the conventional loan. Sure. So it's not for everyone, especially those just starting out and maybe have thinner credit or lower credit, that sort of thing. So Fannie Mae right now is using a 1% calculation on the deferred student loans, but they also will allow that income-based repayment plan we were talking about. So if we can show that income-based repayment plan with that lower payment, they will allow that instead of the 1% rule. So that's a huge advantage. And Freddie Mac loans as well, also conventional, they go off a half of a percent. So similar to FHA right now, they'll go off of a half of a 
one half of 1% when calculating that into your debt to income ratio. They also will allow that payment on credit or the income-based repayment if we have the documentation to back it up. So you're starting to see there's a lot of different options. There's a lot of different protocols. There's a lot of different guidelines. That's why it's so important to deal with a mortgage advisor that has a large suite of products to offer you because if they only offer FHA, that may not work. But what if they also offer VA or what if they also offer conventional? One of these other ones may be better for you and it may allow you to get approved for a home under one of these loans where the other one wouldn't work. You follow? Yeah, but now what if somebody defaulted, let's say, on their government student loans? Can they still be eligible to buy a home? They can, and but a lot of people think, well, if I defaulted on my student loans, specifically the government student loans, there's no way I'm gonna be able to get another loan. Right, and in right. some cases they're right. Um, you need to prepare ahead. That's the number one thing I can say. If you've defaulted on your student loans, there is extra paperwork, there is extra time, there is extra hoops to jump through in order to get you a loan. But it can happen, and I've helped several clients uh, get student, or excuse me, get mortgages after they defaulted on their government student loans. So mm. normally, the easy way out is to go with a conventional loan because a conventional loan is not government backed. So they're not gonna do the same checks with the federal government on defaults. Of course, it'll still affect your credit and all that just the same, but the easy way out if you defaulted on a government loan is just to get a conventional mortgage. Well, not everyone can do that like we talked about because of challenges with credit and debt to income, things like that. The government loans are gonna look at something called CAVERS, which is a system that we have to run a, your social security number through to see if you have uh, defaulted government loans. Not only student loans, but any government loan. It could be through the Small Business Administration, through the VA, through any government agency. If you Basically, if you burn them once, they're not gonna let you do it again until it's handled. So that's why conventional loans can be better if you defaulted on uh, those government loans. If you're going with a government loan though, there is absolutely ways to get this done, but it's going to require a lot of extra time. And I'm dealing with client right now who went and, uh, and, and had this scenario. So what's going to need to happen if you had that government loan and you defaulted and you still want to get another government loan through like FHA or VA? What we're going to need to do is you're going to need to get in touch with the collection company. So like in my case, I ran this borrower's social security number through the CAVER system and it came up default. Department of Ed, and it gives a phone number on there. I gave that phone number to the borrower, she contacted them, and then they put her in touch with the collection agency that was handling the loans, because all the time it's gonna go to a collection agency. It's not gonna be serviced by the Department of Ed anymore. They're gonna sell it or have it serviced by the collection agency. So you're gonna need to set up a plan with them and say, hey, I need to get my cavers cleared. I'm trying to get a new loan to buy a mortgage, or excuse me, a new mortgage to buy a home and I'm not able to because I'm on the CAVER system, what can I do to get my loan out of default? Then they're typically gonna set up a payment plan with you. It's gonna be usually around three payments mm -hmm. and they're gonna say, okay, you haven't paid us in years, but let's get this going now. They'll set up a payment plan for this one lady. It was $450 a month she was going to have to pay them for three months. And then after she did these trial payments, then they would get her loan back to a normal servicer. It would go back to the Department of Ed or one of their servicers. Then we'd be able to clear the cavers. Well, if you're starting to do the math, three payments, that's three months. Then it's another month or two to get them to clear the cavers. So you're talking about... Wow. Uh, you know, four to six month timeline that we had to be prepared ahead of time for in order to get her in the house. The last thing you want to do is get under contract, have a deadline of a month or two, and now you're going to start this process. It's just not going to work. Well, then at what point should someone with a lot of student 
loans be approaching a mortgage advisor like you, you know, for pre-approval or even advice on getting a mortgage plan in place? Yeah, it's it's as soon as possible. You know, normally I recommend people contact a mortgage advisor three to four months ahead of time when they're looking to buy their home. But if you have student loan debt, I would say six months or more, Uh even a year ahead of time, because as you're starting to hear if you've got these defaulted government loans or other credit issues, like it's going to take time to, you know, get this fixed. It's going to take time to get these challenges handled. The earlier that we can start working on it, the better chance you're going to have to getting in a home in a relatively short timeline. We need to come up with what loan program are you going to be qualifying for? How much more money do you need to save? And what do you need to do to get these student loans where they need to be? Even if your student loans are not defaulted, maybe you don't have an income-based repayment plan and we're going to have to hit you with 1%. Well, let's go and get you that income-based repayment plan. You see, doesn't happen overnight though, Gary. Mm. It actually takes some time to be able to do this stuff. Sometimes it could take a month or two even if they're not in default. So you're starting to see why the earlier you can get with us to get that custom strategy to figure out what loan program is going to be best for you, the better outcome it's going to be, the better or less stress that you're going to have. And if you don't have down payment funds or credit, people go, well, I'm not going to even talk to a mortgage advisor because I don't have money saved. My credit is shot. Mm -hmm. You know, what's the point? The point is, let us guide you. Let us give you that custom game plan, not only on your student loans, but on your entire scenario. How much money do you need down? What do we need to do with your credit? Maybe I can give you some tips to get your credit from the mid 600s into the 700s. Now we can qualify you for an even better loan, get you a better interest rate. You see all these things are coming into play and it really just comes down to, do we have the time? If you call me and you're ready to start shopping for a home right away, we don't have the time for that. You know, it's gonna be take it or leave it. Uh, What are some things that student loan holders can do, though, ahead of time, let's say, to prepare for the mortgage process? Sure. So I think number one, as we were just discussing, is to get that game plan in place so you know what's going to need to be done because it could take some time. The next thing is typically getting that income-based repayment plan is going to be a huge trick that you can use to help your qualification for a mortgage. Some people don't have them set up and it can take a few months, especially right now, Mm. due to everyone trying to do it at one time, getting out of pandemic and things. It's really important to get that going quickly and know what loan program that you're gonna be looking at and get the right documentation. I've had people that submit like an email to me from somebody at the student loan company. That's not gonna fly. It needs to be an official document on their letterhead that shows all the information about that income-based repayment. So again, sometimes it can take a little bit of time to do that. And if you're in default on a government loan, you wanna start the process to make the trial payments with the collection agency, because normally they're gonna want three payments. And you can't just say, well, here's three months worth at one time. They don't allow that. It's three months. So if you contact them in June, they're gonna want you to make July, August, September, then they'll take you out of collections and put you back into the normal student loan. You see? So start that process early, get with the mortgage advisor early, and get those loans consolidated early so that you'll be eligible by the time you're actually ready and able to buy a property. Wow. Good advice. Can you talk about some specific scenarios that you've dealt with regarding student debt um, and really the challenges it brings up for home buyers. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a client right now, a young lady out of Middletown that's buying a property from her landlord. She's lived there for years oh. and she's buying it like a tenant purchase. And, um, you know, she came to me and said, my landlord's ready to sell me the house. 
Well, she only would qualify for the FHA loan, which is a government loan due to her credit and debt to income. Her loans were in default. So luckily she came to me early and we were able to actually have her do the trial payments on the student loans and get that process going. The whole thing took about five months from when she contacted me until she was fully ready to move forward with buying that property. But because she came to me early, we were able to set the stage with the landlord and said, hey, we're handling this. This is what we're looking at for a future closing date. This is what we're doing right now proactively to get it done. Had she waited until the last minute and said, hey, here's the contract. Now we don't have enough time. This stuff doesn't get handled, especially in the case of default. So that's one uh, one idea for you or one case study, so to speak, that I'm dealing with. The other one is a, a young lady out of Waterbury that's on an income-based repayment plan, and she has great credit. She's getting a conventional loan to buy a condo. Now her credit had a zero payment on it, but the half a percent for the loan that she was going for from Freddie Mac, that was too much for her qualification because she has a lot of student loan debt and a pretty low income. So she had to get that income-based repayment letter. The issue was that during the pandemic, these student loan companies were like very short-staffed. They were way behind on things due to all the forbearances and whatnot. And it took her like several months to actually get this income-based repayment letter. So I had been in communication with her for quite a while to be able to say, hey, here's what we need to make this happen for you. And she was very tenacious in following up and getting it done. And then just recently, like a week ago, she finally got that letter sent it to me and I was able the same day to give her that pre-approval letter. Oh. She's out there this weekend looking at properties. No kidding. Absolutely. That is an incredible success story. Um, folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. If you like what you're hearing so far, write down this phone number, 860-413-3938. I'll repeat that as well as the website and email address as we get closer to the end of the show. You had mentioned at the top of the show um, co-signing, and I, I I I kept that in the back of my mind. I wanted to bring that up before we completely ran out of time. What about co-signed student loans? How do those play in with a mortgage qualification? Let's let's say for for parents who co-sign for their children. It's really common that parents will, you know, try to help their kids out and they'll co-sign these loans. And I see it all the time that they co-sign tens or hundreds of thousands in loans. And then it comes back to bite them because these mm. qualifications we're talking about, these calculations, they whether you co-signed or it's your loan, it doesn't matter. On the credit report, it's your debt, yeah. okay? And it's unfortunate because I've seen some people that get priced out of buying a vacation home, investment property, or, you know, another primary residence to move up. And they can't do it because they took on all this debt for their kids trying to help them. And now it completely screwed them out of their next uh, property. So it's important to understand that they're looked at just like your loans. Now, what can you do? What can you do is we can exclude them. If you meet certain criteria, we can exclude those student loans. And what those criteria are is we need to be able to show that somebody else makes the payments on those loans for at least 12 months. So it can be really challenging. Again, if you're trying to do a real estate transaction or refinance or whatnot, and you're doing this and you're just finding out this information now, well, how are you going to show 12 months worth of someone else making the payments? So what I've had a lot of my clients do is begin with the end in mind. And I explain this strategy to them right away when they start inquiring on potential mortgage options. And then they start having their child start making payments on those student loans. Because that's usually the plan is, hey, I'll co-sign it for them. But as soon as they're able to, 
I'm going to have them start making payments. We'll have them start making payments ASAP because the guideline is 12 months. We have to get 12 months of canceled checks and or bank statements from the person that's making the payments on those loans in order to have an option of excluding those loans. So it's not something that, oh, they've been paying it for three months. Not good enough. I've even had scenarios where they've been paying it for even 10 or 11 months. Not good enough. It has to be 12 months of documented payments out of someone else's account in order for us to be able to exclude those. Uh, a common issue that I see is the student will give their parents money and say, hey, here's $200, go put it on the student loan. And they do that every month, but the money's coming out of the parent's bank account. You see, that doesn't fly. Mm. The very cr The criteria is very specific. It needs to be coming out of a bank account that your name is not on. So if you're on like a joint account with them, not going to fly. If they're giving you money, like we said, not going to fly. So you need to really understand these guidelines and make sure it's done perfectly. Because even one month, I had a client years ago that they made all the payment, their kids made all the payments. And then one month, they made it out of their bank account. Just one month. And we weren't able to exclude it. Very specific. There's no gray area. It's black and white. What about documentation? What documentation would be required then if, if someone else is paying for student loans that you co-signed in order to exclude them, let's say, from the mortgage qualification? Right. So it's going to be the 12 months of either canceled checks, okay. which will show the front and back of the check that the check that's, went through. That's what you were mentioning. Right. And then the other option is bank statements. So 12 months of bank statements for their actual bank account. Because nowadays, a lot of people have electronic debits coming out of their accounts, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they're not going to write a check. So we actually go through the, uh, you know, the bank statement on that and the bank statement will show that information on there for them. And we need all 12 months. So it's very important that you actually do have the 12 months of bank statements, because like I said a minute ago, if you don't have even one month, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. I got one more question for you. I, we got about five minutes left. Um, maybe you can elaborate on this. Should someone pay off their student loan or buy a house? That's a really common occurrence that people are asking about. I would say do both. You don't have oh, to pick one or the other. Really? So How? what I teach my clients is pay the minimum on the student loans. You know, like we said, income-based repayment or, uh, you know, a minimum payment plan with them. You want to do that, but just the minimum. And you want to take all of your additional income and put that into the savings for buying a home. So it's not pay off your student loan and then buy a house. As we're talking about, many people are able to actually buy a home while they have high student loan debt. Not all, but most people are, if you understand the strategies, if you understand the guidelines, and if you're working with a professional that has access to a wide array of these different mortgage products that allow for the different calculations on student loans. So make the minimum on the student loan and put the rest in savings, and then you can actually do both. So that's, the, that's really where it starts. But what about after you buy the house? Where does that play in, you know? I think that what we're looking at is... After you buy the house, that's when we can recalibrate on your finances. Okay. So let's talk about now that you own the home, we've got you the mortgage. What's next? Do you have credit card debt that could be paid off? Do mm -hmm. you have other high interest debt? Mm -hmm. Now, private student loans, those can be pretty high interest. I've seen 7, 8, 10%. Wow. 
the the government loans, those are a bit lower interest, you know, usually around the mortgage interest rates, like less than 5%. So it may not be wise to pay off a student loan when you've got other high interest debt. And we've talked in other episodes about prioritizing debt and what should we pay off and when should we pay off a mortgage. But in the context of the student loans, I would say, you know, take that weight off your shoulders once you actually buy the house and don't be so fixated on paying off your student loan. Get with a financial advisor, a mortgage advisor, someone that understands debt and finances, and let's put a new game plan together for you on moving forward. People look at buying a home as like the end-all be-all event, but it's really just the beginning of your wealth journey, right? Most millionaires got there through real estate. That's the statistic. The majority did. So what about buying your next house? What about the investment property? What about the vacation home? You can do all that with student loan debt. Where should it play in? Everyone's going to be in a different situation, right? If you take all your money after you buy the house and you start paying down your student loans aggressively, where's the down payment for the next property? Are you turbocharging your retirement fund? You know, that's a big thing is why are you paying off your student loan debt that's at 4% when you could be investing that money in your retirement, in your 401k that might be making 8, 9, 10 or 20% like it did in the last year or two, you know? So that's a big thing that we really need to look at is get away from the old adages, get away from the advice that your parents, grandparents, cousins and family gave you. Get a personal strategy together on what should you be paying off? Should you even be paying off student loan debt? What I found over the years is that when people look at it from that perspective and we you know, step back and look at their whole finances as a portfolio, most of the time paying off that student loan debt early doesn't make sense. Because of the low interest rate. It's because of the low interest rate, number one. And number two is where could that money be best used? And usually, especially if you're young, that money is better off going into turbocharging your retirement plan at a young age and or paying off higher interest debt. Those are the two main focuses that I have people look at, which is why pay off the student loan at 4% or 5% when you've got credit card debt at 15 or 20, right? Why are you paying off a student loan at a low rate when you could be putting that money in a 401k or IRA where you might get some sort of tax advantage, right? You might get a match on a 401k from your employer. And historically, 401ks and those retirement plans have done a lot better than 4 or 5% interest. Right. So we really need to look at that. And I think the younger you are, the more you need to shift your focus from paying off your student loan debt to how can I improve my finances? How can I get wealthy using that first home buying experience as a pivot point? It's all the more the reason, my friends, to contact Rob Weinberg. This is why you exist. This is why you do what you do and are so successful at it. And what I think what a lot of people would be surprised is there's really no charge. I mean, you're going to come in and have a consultation. Free consultation. Yeah, exactly. And if you'd like to uh, get that ball rolling, let me tell you the order for which I would recommend you to do. I would recommend you right to go to the website. Of course, it may answer some questions that you have. On the flip side, it may spark some other ones that you didn't even think of. But that's it, that's the purpose. It'll get It'll get you thinking. It's simply www.ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Again, it's ConnecticutMortgageLending.com. Poke around there. Have some fun on the website. Um, and then you can, if you've got an email, if you've got a question that you would like to ask Rob Weinberg, simply send him an email to MortgageMattersRadioShow at gmail.com. Let us know if we can ask that on the air. We'd love to, because I'm sure if you thought about it, 
Other people have probably come up with that question, but are maybe too shy to uh, take that initiative. So Mortgage Matters Radio Show at gmail.com. If you like to schedule an appointment, well, heck, that's easy to do as well. We encourage it. 860-413-3938. Again, there's no money out of pocket. It, it's it's a free consultation. 860-413-3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next Saturday, have a good one, everybody. So long. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.